Well, thank you, worship team. Appreciate that. And um, if you were with us last week or if you've had an opportunity to read through the book of Job, you uh, will know that the words to those songs, both that we sang this morning, are just so appropriate to uh, where we are this morning in, uh, in the book of Jude. Um, in studying, came across this, this thought. Few books in the New Testament have more to say to our generation than the epistle of Jude. Our generation. Now, the quote that I took that out of was a commentary that probably was 25 or 30 years old. All right? So, few have as much to say to our generation as the epistle of Jude. And and it just it makes you that much more aware of how appropriate, timely God's word really is. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith. That's what we're talking about. That's what's going on here in the, in the, in the letter to Jude. And... Um, as he says, following deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. That is happening. I don't think that's a secret. I don't think I have to tell you that as a first kind of first-handed information because that's what is happening and things, folks, are not going to get better. I mean, it's just not going to happen. And um, it's critical that we, we recognize all that's happening is part of God's plan. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't stand against it because that's part of what really the theme of, of the book of Jude is contending for the faith. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verses 12 and 13, we looked at some of the first verses of chapter 3 last week and talking again about the later times. But here it is, verses 12 and 13, as as. Paul had been challenging young Pastor Timothy about what was coming and how difficult times were then. Now he's saying in verse 12, in fact, he says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. To, to stand up and contend for the faith may bring Tough times may bring suffering, may bring persecution into your life. If you're living godly, that's what Paul says is going to happen. And then verse 13, he says, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is not a pretty picture. And the day in which we live, folks, can be pretty discouraging, can be pretty dark. And I think we've got to be very careful that we don't let it bury us, that we don't let it darken our lives, that we don't let it get us down to the point that all we can talk about is how bad things are. And I don't think it has to be said, but I just want real quick simply say, folks, no matter what happens in our country politically or economically or socially or in any other way, doesn't change God's plan and doesn't negate or decrease our responsibility or the power that God has given us in the person of the Holy Spirit of God to do what he's called us to do in the middle of it all. I just feel sometimes as a church, we churches, believers all across our country are just 
feeling like it's over. There's nothing we can do. This is terrible. It's bad. And we just got to hunker down. No. Yes, we know that the return of the Lord is sooner now than when we first believed. But we still have opportunity big time in front of us that Jude is saying we need to get ready for. The letter that Jude wrote has something to say because the question would be, so what are we supposed to do about all this? What do we do? How do we handle it? Well, this is what Jude's message is. He says false teachers, as he talks, we looked last week, pretenders had secretly slipped in and among the churches with the intent of dividing God's people, doing spiritual harm, distracting them from the mission that they'd been given as a church, leading them away from the faith that was once for all delivered to God's holy people. This is an emergency situation that Jude is writing about. And folks, spiritually speaking, it's, the alarms are sounding. This is war, and we must contend for the faith. Jude is telling the churches, the believers that he's writing to, that they must agonize. That's the word contend, agonize. It's not going to be easy. They must fight for what they believe, the truth of the word of God. They must do battle on behalf of the faith that's been entrusted to us. The church, God's people, must defend the faith. Paul said it this way to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. He said, fight the good fight of the faith, the faith, the same faith that we read about in verse 3 in the letter to Jude wrote. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. How do we contend for the faith? Well, first we've got to understand our enemy. That's critical just about in every area of life, certainly in the athletic realm. You got to know your team, the team you're playing against. Some would say the enemy, right? You got to understand if anybody's going to war, you got to know the, 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 the capabilities of the enemy. And we need to understand the enemy. We need to know the nature of apostasy. We need to know who these false teachers, these apostates are. Now, they're not named in Jude, but in fact, they are described in their very presence. So open your Bibles with me, please, to the letter of Jude what he wrote, page 860. If you need a Bible, don't have one underneath the chair in front of you. There should be a Bible. And uh, if you would like to use that, page 860. And uh, I'm so tempted to keep saying Paul's letter to Jude. Now, wait a minute. It's Jude's letter to churches. Paul wrote so much of the New Testament. After all, what, a year and a half in 1 Corinthians, it's like, okay, Paul, I Appreciate you, but I got to get you out of my head here. Jude, Jude, all right? Look at verse 3. Well, let's just start back at verse 1, just a, a quick run through as we talk about this. So Jude, he's identifying himself in two ways, a servant of Jesus Christ. That's a bond servant. That means he's absolutely under the, putting himself under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says a brother of James, the James who was the half-brother of Jesus, the James who wrote the letter of James just a few chapters back or books back in the New Testament, the James who was the head of the Jerusalem church, 
right after Jesus rose from the dead as the church began on the day of Pentecost. That's the James. Jude is his brother, which means Jude is also the brother of Jesus Christ. That's who we're talking about. He goes on and he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. He's, we don't know what church he's writing to or what group of believers, but he's writing to believers, those who have been called, that's salvation, chosen by God, who are loved in God, constantly, forever loved, and are kept the protection of Jesus Christ for us, his people. And then he goes on, and he says there in uh, verse 2, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. He's praying that God would pour out his mercy, continue to do that, continue to pour out his love and, and peace on those believers. And that is especially necessary as they fight the fight, as they contend for the faith that Jude is talking about. And then we get to verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, this is what Jude would rather have written about. It's what he maybe even started to write about. But he says, rather, I felt compelled. There's a sense of urgency. We talked about these three words that I've highlighted. Compelled. I have to, there's pressure on me, I must, I'm constrained, I've got to write this, to write and to urge you, to beg you almost, to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people, saints, the church, that's what he's talking about. We as God's people, saints, those who know Jesus Christ, the church have been given the truth of the word of God, have been given that faith. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about uh, the trust necessary in Jesus Christ for salvation. The faith is describing the big picture of all that we believe. At the heart of that is the gospel. Contend for the gospel. Stand for the truth of the gospel. Don't let it be watered down in any way, shape, or form. And as he goes through this, verse 4, he continues on. He says, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in. We said as stealthily slipped in, snuck in are there without the believers knowing about it. That's the stealth technology that, that our military would think is new today. They, they're probably patting themselves in the back. We can fly a plane and have nobody know it's up there. Well, guess what? Stealth was around when Jude was writing because these false teachers were stealthily creeping in. They'd slipped in to the body of Christ he says they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. This morning, I want you to understand four truths about apostates because we've got to know our enemy. We've got to understand what apostasy means if we're going to be able to contend for the faith that God gave to us. 
So here it is, four statements, four truths. First of all, right there in verse 1, as Jude begins, he goes on, For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago. I believe Jude is simply saying that God prophesied long ago that he used his prophets, uh, those who he had, had raised up, and as those men prophesied and women prophesied long ago that there would be false teachers. This wasn't new once the church began. The Old Testament is full of that promise. And, and there were false teachers back then. And we'll see what that means. But I think he's, God is, we're, we're talking about God's prophecy long ago, back in the Old Testament days, that there would be false teachers and that they would, as a result of that false teaching, one day face the judgment and condemnation of God. And we're going to see that described as we continue on through this letter that Jude wrote. Because it's written, we're going to jump right in next week in, in verses 5 through 7 and see some of the Old Testament evidences of these false teachers and of the condemnation and eternal judgment that they're under as a result of that. As you read ahead, and I'd encourage you, as I did last week, read through this letter at least once a week. You could do it every day, 25 verses, really quick. And then check out 2 Peter. Three chapters, Second Peter will give you as well a hint on false teachers and false prophets and uh, will help you as we think through what's happening here in Jude's letter. And so we'll move on, but they are condemned already is what he says. They're already under the judgment of God. Why? Well, there's three statements here. The, the next three, because number one, they're ungodly. Look at that again, verse 4. He says he talks about those certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people. They are ungodly people. When you see un in front of a word, you pretty much understand that that's an opposite of, of what the word without that means, right? So in other words, we're talking godless Godless people. In other words, these ungodly people are living as though God does not exist. Now keep that in mind. Because they're false teachers. They've stealthily slipped into the church. But what we know about them is they're in ungodly. You say, how in the world could ungodly people in the church not be detected? Well, we'll continue to talk about that. But they're living as if God does not exist. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 with me. Hebrews chapter 3, if you want to follow along in your Bible, I have it on the screen for you. But Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And this is the challenge of the writer to the book of Hebrews to God's people. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. Here it is that turns away from the living God. That's our word apostasy. That turns away from the living God. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin's deceitfulness. That's part of why they're undetected. Sin is deceitful. 
It covers up. Apostasy is the intentional rejection of belief that was once formerly held. You see, we look around our world today and not every negative influence, not all the nasty stuff that's going on, not all of that is apostasy because most of those probably are people who never claim to know God. The idea of apostasy begins with somebody who at one point in time claimed to be a follower of Jesus. And that's why the book of Hebrews is is warning brothers, you don't have an unbelieving heart. Don't gain that sinful, unbelieving heart. And he's calling on the church there, he says, and encourage the rest of you, encourage one another daily. Keep your eyes and your ears open to encourage people who begin to struggle. We could all probably name somebody who once walked with God and today isn't. I want to suggest to you that we need to be very careful about judging. Well, they certainly are going to hell. They don't know Jesus. Well, that may be. But that's the decision that Jesus will make one day talks about an intentional reject an apostate is one who abandons Christianity who deliberately separates from God after previously having turned to him it would be much the state of the parable of the sower and the soils you had the seed thrown on the hard ground nothing happened there but then you have the thorny soil and the rocky soil and it seemed like there was evidence of salvation and then After long, life got hard, all kinds of other things to distract. Both were saved. There was nothing real there, no salvation. I'm not saying that that's an illustration of every apostate, but that's kind of a picture of what happens. How can people receive the word of God and then turn away? This is not about losing your salvation, folks. Please understand, apostates didn't lose their salvation. We believe that once a person is saved, they do not lose that salvation. They gave evidence that maybe they were saved, but after a while, the fact of the matter is it proved, no, it never happened to begin with. Kind of a statement, part of the statement that we shared with you um, last week from One of the Greek lexicons, it is open, apostasy is open defiance of authority with the presumed intention to overthrow it or to act in complete opposition to its demands. The word of God is our authority. God himself is our authority. And apostasy is open defiance, standing, shaking a fist in God's face and saying, no, no way. That's ungodly people zero reverence or respect for God no fear of God no obedience to his revealed will if we don't fear God obedience cannot happen and those who say yes in their outward appearance they sound good they look good give every evidence that they are followers of Jesus but we call them false teachers because in fact they are ungodly people their hearts have never been transformed Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 18 oh man there is so much here but this is the problem this is the the this is a great text on sin 
This is a description of people without God, ungodly people, godless people. And, and just listen, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 18, you can read it and write it down and get it later, but here's what Paul says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. Now this is a picture of people without God, ungodly people, godless people, all right? Verse 11, there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Without God, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. Do you hear that and do you understand why Jude prayed for the believers? God, multiply, abound peace in their lives. Because ungodly people don't have anything to do with peace and ruin those around them. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And we wonder why Jude was so concerned about these false teachers. We're not talking about carnal people. We're not talking about backslidden people. We're not talking about a lapse in their faith, like Peter, who denied Jesus three times, right? We might say, oh, he had to be. No, 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 no. He repented and came back. It's not just a momentary lapse. An apostate is one who at one point claimed to know God and deliberately, intentionally turned away from him. Ungodly people. Then they pervert the grace of God. The third truth about apostates, they're under the condemnation of God already. Secondly, they're ungodly people. Thirdly, they pervert the grace of God. Look at verse 4. Who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. That word pervert there simply means to change or to twist. To change the grace of God into a license for immorality. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 6 in the first two verses. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Well, if the grace of God is so great and we've been forgiven, man, wow, let's just keep sinning because the more we sin, the more grace we get. That's what Paul's saying, right? By no means. You almost want to put a parenthesis in there. What, are you crazy? Right? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And yet the false teachers are saying, oh, no, 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 no. It's, listen, God's grace is freedom. We have freedom to do what we want. They're saying, this grace of God is a license for immoral behavior. 
And that word there, immorality, it is no question in the context even, it is sexual sin. Look around us, folks. And again, not every evidence of sexual sin in our culture is by apostates because not all of those people have claimed to know God and then turned away from him, okay? It's, we, we need to grab hold of that because sometimes we, we, we misunderstand terminology and we think all sin that's out there that's opposed to God is apostasy. No. Apostasy happens in the church because people who once claimed to know Christ no longer do. They've turned away. One writer put it this way, it is as if they said, it is as if these false teachers were teaching, what, wasn't it the essence of God's grace that he took care of our sins completely on the cross? I mean, isn't that really at the heart of the whole thing? How then can there be any penalty for sin anymore? We can live as we like. No. Paul says, no, by no means. Why? Well, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. Because here's what the grace of God tells us. Here's what the grace of God teaches us. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. All right, did you get that? The false teachers who think, no, 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 we got grace, we got freedom, we, we can do what we want, the grace is covered, our sin's under, right? We, no, he says it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. He keeps going. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We were there a month or so ago on the, the rapture of Jesus, him, Jesus coming back for the church. And what that ought to do is it ought to cause us to want to be more godly in the way we think, in the way we talk, in the way we live. Why? Because he's coming soon. And then he says, our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us, look, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So to think that, oh, the grace lets us do what we want. It's a license to immorality. And that's what Jude was warning the church about back in the first century. No, you got it all wrong. Paul says, by no means. He says, we have been redeemed from all wickedness. All wickedness. There is no room for ungodliness in the life of an authentic, genuine child of God. And then fourthly, they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. They deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Apostates, false teachers, always deny the deity of Jesus Christ. What do we mean by the deity? You've heard that word probably and wonder, well, what does that word mean? Simply it means that Jesus Christ is God. 
He's the son of God, but he is God. That's why he was born. God becoming man so he could take our place on the cross, die for our sin so that our pay the price for our sin so that our sin could be forgiven. But it means for him to rise from the dead, he had to be not just man who died for us, but God who rose again from the dead, proving he would do, he could do what he said he would, and that's provide forgiveness for our sin. Look at the names there that are listed in verse 4, there at the end. And those, th- th- these false teachers deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. There's four names there. Jesus, that means Savior, Right? Back in Matthew 1, when Jesus was still un- unborn at that point, he was that he, his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Jesus Christ is the, is the name, the anointed one, the Messiah. Our only sovereign. Sovereign is complete and absolute power and control. The sovereign of the world, this universe he is in complete control. He is the supreme authority. Jesus is the God of the universe. Jesus created. Read Colossians 1. He created this world. And then Lord, master and owner, king, a title of honor and respect. But this is Jesus Christ, our sovereign our Lord, the one who saved us. And the false teachers deny, deny that Jesus is God. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, literally that word is deny him. If we deny him, he will also disown or deny us. The false prophets, the false teachers, the apostates deny that Jesus is God. He will one day deny them. Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, to the pure all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. Here it is, verse 16, Titus 1, verse 16. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, by their fruit you'll know them, by what they produce, by how they live, By their actions, they deny him, even though what? They claim to know God. That's what makes them apostate. They claim to know God, but by the way they live, they deny him. And ultimately, somewhere along the way, that apostate will deny Jesus Christ. Turn from the truth. And it happens to those who once everyone thought were followers of Jesus. So what's the bottom line? What do we do? We contend for the faith. We contend for the faith. 
And we do that by knowing our enemy. We understand the nature of apostasy, and that's what we, we need to keep doing. Dig into it, study it, look at some of these scriptures and see what this is. But as we know our enemy, as we understand the nature, the heart of apostasy, it is an intentional, deliberate walking away from the faith that was once delivered to God's people, the church. And then we take action. We've got to know God's word. We've got to know the Bible. and We've got to obey it. It is critical. You see, folks, this is an urgent situation. This, this is an emergency time. This is war. God's people, us, we need to contend for the faith. We need to stand up. We need to step up. We need to speak up with a sense of urgency. We've got to agonize. We've got to fight. This is not easy stuff. To stand against false teaching, to stand against the ungodliness that shows itself in the church that we at one point thought wasn't ungodliness but was genuine pursuit of God. And then we find out, no, it's not. That's hard work. That's heartbreaking work. We've got to do battle on behalf of the truth, contend for the faith. Listen, truth and practice are inseparably linked together. Truth and practice are inseparably linked. The word of God is the truth. It's not enough just to know it. We've got to practice it. We've got to do it. We've got to live it. Believing the right things is vital to living the right way. If we don't have the truth, if we don't believe the truth, we're going to have a hard time living as God intended for us to live. And these false teachers, these apostates, are going to do everything they can to drag God's people away from truth. And there's so much out there in the name of truth these days, we've got to make sure that we know what the truth really is. Don't be fooled. Don't allow an apostate, a false teacher, to pull you away from what we know to be true. It is critical that we stand up, that we step up, that we speak up. Don't be one who says, oh man, I had an opportunity the other day and I, I let it go by. All right. But the next one, speak up. Oh, it's hard. You may be persecuted. You may be mocked and put down. You may be ignored. You may be isolated. It may happen. But we must contend for the faith. Let me pray. Father, Thank you for Jesus Christ, who is God, who we believe is our sovereign, our Lord, our Savior, our salvation, our Messiah, our deliverer, our guarantee of eternal life with you in heaven.
God, these are dark days in which we live. From what we read in the Bible, they're getting darker. And they're going to keep getting darker. God, don't let us lose heart. Help us to find in you, in your word, in your spirit that lives within us, the, the power, the energy to stand and hold fast to the truth and to proclaim that truth every opportunity that we get. And as Jude prayed, that we would be covered and that we would abound, that love would be multiplied in our hearts. Help us to live as those who love God. Help us to live, Father, as those who let that love that you put in our hearts just ooze out all over everybody around us. And as we stand in these hard times to make sure that we do so like Jesus would have. And sometimes that was harsh. But often it was just overpowering with love. Father, I pray that if there are any here today who do not know Jesus Christ, that you would open their hearts. to what Jesus did on the cross to pay for their sin so that they could be forgiven and know you forever. Oh God, don't let us be distracted. Don't let us be discouraged. Don't let us be divided. Help us to shine as that bright light of godliness on this earth for the glory of God. And now to him who is able to keep us from falling away and to present us before his glorious presence one day without fault and great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Hey, have a great week. Have a great Father's Day. Dads, happy Father's Day to you.